Well, good morning, LCM. Today is February 19th, 2023. And my, 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 how we have been made more aware of rising tensions this week. That's true. If you've experienced this this past week, just raise up both hands. See around the room. Yeah, right here. Everybody. Yes. Has it been exciting? Yes. Has it been full of tension? Yes. Oh, where, where's, where's Paul and Annette McAway? Eric and Valerie Treister. Have there been some rising tensions in living situations this week? Yes. Oh, amen. Where's my homies in a duum? Yeah. Some rising tensions and learning how to work like men and pastoring your household. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, where's my brother from another mother, Nolan Hewlett? Yes. Some rising tensions and knowing what your purpose and calling in the Lord is and have some challenges according to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't leave out JJ. JJ's a fighter. Mints some rising tensions and uh, some legal issues in Shiloh's care. Unexpected, but yet to be expected. An increasing tension. Uh, Keith and Floor. Just un poquito tensions. O más grande. Yes. Speaking of, Sosa's. Yeah. You have in your arms beautiful little Elena Victoria. Si. Se puede. And there was a little bit of news of some health issues that you did not expect, but that rising tension was there in front of your face and you had to stand up to that challenge. Not for a minute. Oh, and how about our association of friends at Hebron? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm just going to stare at you the entire time, Cody. Are you feeling, feeling that drawing of the strobe, uh, the bowstring that is requiring you to increase in team efforts? And pressing into further association and fellowship. I mean, have, have we all got to that point where we feel like we've reached our maximum tension? All right, let me rephrase it here. Are you at the point where you're saying, I just can't take this anymore? It's just too much. It's more than I expected. Anybody there? Well, that's fantastic news. That's great. That's the exact place you need to be because it is drawing out of you the righteous response to rising tensions. Now, this morning we have something to go a bit further. And we're going to say it's time, it's time to, to flex, flex on them. Church, that is our title this morning. It's time to, to flex, flex on them. Guys, if you don't know this special phrase, flex on them, 
you're going to know exactly what it means, at least by the end of this message this morning. Flex on them is a phrase used by an individual to state their physical dominance over a challenge or obstacle that stands in their way. That's what it means to flex on them. That's what it means to flex on something. Guys, when there is rising tensions, and we can all feel it, we could have named every single family in this room, but we took just a cluster of data points. Seven. Just seven data points. We could have named Chris and the Riazora family. We could have gone straight down this line. We could have gone all around the room and named rising tensions in everybody's life this morning. But guys, this is the reason why we're standing up and we're preaching this message today. In doing so, we are going to learn to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received from him. And we're going to experience the hand of our father fashioning us into his likeness and image. Amen. Thursday night. Our brother shared about the Lord's discipline as a drill instructor. Do you guys remember that? And this is a correct perspective, but it must include this one foundational element. A drill instructor's aim is to weed out the weak recruits so that then he can go and equip the strong ones. A father is focused on removing the weakness in his sons. So that each and every one of them are fully taught by the tension and then are able to stand as battle-ready bowmen. A real biblical father will always push his sons past their breaking point. Because he knows what his son is actually capable of. Much more than what the son thinks he can do and what he thinks he can accomplish. Let's begin moving to a slide here. Before we hit that slide, I want to make sure that you guys just got that. Because so many of our conversations during the week deal with a fear, a specific fear that God's just going to throw me away. My brothers are just going to throw me away. I'm going to get to the point where there's so much tension that I'm going to back away and they're just going to say, you know what? Get out of here. That is a lie from the pit of hell, Cody Stevens. God will not do that because he's not a, just a drill instructor. He is a father that looks at the weakness inside of his son and he says, Hey, I see that. We're going to acknowledge that weakness together and I'm going to put the necessary amount of tension on your life so that that weakness gets turned into strength. He's not afraid of weakness. He's not scared of weakness. In fact, we would do good to reflect him in knowing that just like he understands that there's weakness still in us, we need to understand and come face to face with, of course there's weakness in me. Of course I'm weak in these areas, but I know that my father will not throw me away and he is going to make me strong. Look at this next slide with us. We've been preaching about the bow and arrow imagery. We've had a lot of amazing homiletics that God has given us from the heavens. We want to bring out one more image when we're talking about the bow and arrow that you guys are going to get. Because the bow was a common sight in ancient Israel, 
The term is frequently used figuratively to mean battle ready. Guys, this comes from Eerdman's Dictionary of the Bible. What you need to know this morning is that the bow and the arrow are used throughout the word to symbolize a group of men who are fully discipled, who are fully prepared, who are fully confident, and who are fully battle ready. They have felt the tension that is required when training with the bow. And they have doubled down on that tension. They have pulled it back even farther. They have flexed on them. Everybody turn with me to Psalm 119. Say flex on them as you turn. Psalm 119, we're just going to read verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast. Steadfast in keeping your statutes. Now, as we're looking at this verse during our study time yesterday, there's some, uh, some teachings that we received that lend towards what we would think the Hebrew word is for steadfast. You know what we found? The Hebrew word for steadfast is kun, K-U-N. And kun is defined in these characteristics. To prepare, to be intent on, be firmly resolved, or made ready. To make ready. So looking at this verse, it is a cry of, oh, that my ways may be made ready ready in keeping your statutes. This is our cry. This is what our cry should be. Oh, Lord God, make us battle ready. There is work to do. In fact, our eyes recently had to be opened regarding the revelation of the Balkan bow. Our eyes are also being opened to the process that he is taking us through right now. And the Lord's been speaking this to us clearly through his word and prophetic utterances during our worship time. And here's just a few excerpts of what God has been giving us. Guys, check these out. You're going to love this because in the same way that we are swimming in this imagery of the bow and the arrow, we're swimming in this prophecy about the bulk and bow and where God is aiming us, we have to understand that when prophecy comes forward, it's not just a one-and-done kind of experience. Like, we don't get a prophecy from the heavens during a worship service. We read it on Monday whenever the Hewitts text it to us, and then we're done with it. That's not how this works. We need to get these things down in our soul and realize that just like God has been speaking to us about the Balkan bow, he's also been speaking to us a clear, linear pathway to how to get there. Listen to this one. The ram's horn is at my mouth, and I am summoning my chariots, and I'm rallying at their side my quivers that I am filling with arrows. Take heart and know that you are being honed and sharpened. Be heightened in your senses for battle. Does that sound like somebody's getting battle ready in the house of God? Listen to this next one. I am training you in the medium of war. And I have allowed you to be 
buffeted. This buffeting is a privilege directly from my hand. What about the next one? I am making you ready for the days of the battle ahead because I am faithful. I'm helping you identify the thing that you do lack. I will not leave you oblivious. I am the God who equips you, and I am calling you by name so that I might arm each one of you completely. Do not despair, but seek me, and I will equip you. Do you hear in these prophetic utterances how God is giving us clear, linear direction of how we are to accomplish the ultimate goal that the Balkan bow is aimed at? What it requires is our constant awareness of the daily processes that he is using to hone us, to sharpen us, to make us battle-ready. This is our way of life in that we are being trained for war through the means of tension. The tension must be seen in this light. It's a privilege. It's not a punishment. It is a privilege. Everybody say it's a privilege. Because without it, you cannot be made battle ready. That God is making us ready for future warfare by showing us what we lack. Would you like to show up on the battlefield and find out then that you don't have bullets? No! That you don't have what's needed to properly defend or go on the offensive? No, not at all. So God showing us what we lack now is arming us for what's in the future. And this requires us to see it as an honor, as a privilege, as the act of a loving father who's equipping us for war. Guys, as we find ourselves in that tension... As we know and understand that that tension is there to make us battle ready. Guys, Psalm 119.5 is a perfect way to approach that tension. Oh, do you hear the cry of that man's heart? Whether it was Ezra who wrote it or another psalmist. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast. That I would be prepared. That God would make me ready for the days to come. Make me ready for the battle. Oh, that my ways would be steadfast before the Lord. That I would keep his statutes. Guys, how do we respond to the Lord getting us battle ready? That's a good question. That's a good question for us this morning. We're going to begin today by comparing two men. Turn with us to the book of Job for a moment. Say flex on them as you turn. We're going to Job chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 17. We're going to start looking at this man and his responses to the Lord attempting him to be battle ready. Verse 17 says, what is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Oh my goodness. Sounds like somebody's complaining a little bit. Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? This guy is complaining that God is giving him too much attention. <laughs> Guys, we need to acknowledge this morning that Job 
he started out in the tension with a fantastic attitude. He started out feeling the tension with a great amount of hope that would be a good example for any one of us in the room. He was praising God through it in chapter 2 and 3. He was correcting the bad attitude that he found in his wife. Men of God say praise God. He kept his nefesh, his inner man, pure through the beginning. Not just his outward speech and action, but also his inner thoughts. But he did it all just for a short time. It was just for the beginning of that tension that he felt. You know, in the end, the tension began to overcome him. To the point that he began to blame God for allowing too much tension in his life. That tension was no longer a privilege for Job, but it was a burden that Job just could not escape. This is classic. Classic blame shifting, right? Surely nobody in this room has ever done blame shifting. Guilty. And it, it's deceptive because the blame shifting is seemingly at the circumstance. It's seemingly at the person who may be challenging you, part of God creating that tension. But ultimately, where does it land? God himself. Well, look at verse 20. If I have sinned, what have I done to you? If I have sinned. Hmm. Oh, watcher of men, or as the 2011 says, you who sees everything we do, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? See the good side of my heart. For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. Well, can we all agree that God had a vision for Job's life? He had a purpose for Job's life. I mean, he was a man of God whom God had his confidence in. And he started out so well while in that tension. In fact, it's an ever-increasing tension. Well, something caught up to Job, and that was despair. Despair was lurking in the darkness behind, and just with a few lagging steps of Job's feet, it then rushed upon him. Well, why? I hear it, and we read it in the passage. Job is calling on God, why have you made me your target? The right response is, is because, Job, you've lost me as the goal and target of your life. He lost the, uh, the sight and the direction and turned to that opposite direction that was keeping Job from becoming battle ready. It was the very point in which God was trying to bring him to and equip him for in the future. In fact, he lost sight of the process of seeing what he personally, Job, lacked. He lacked the ability to then be bold enough to ask God to fill in what he was lacking, and thereby trusting that the Lord would fully equip him and arm him for his present battles as well as the future ones that God had designed. Church Job, simply put, lost sight of God's target. 
So despair was allowed to catch up to him and overtake him. And you can see him wallowing in that in chapter 7. You can also see that in chapter 16. Turn a few pages with us to chapter 16, verse 11. Job says, God has turned me over to the ungodly. He has thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. All was well with me, but he, he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He has made me his target. His archers surround me. Without pity, he pierces my kidneys and spills my gall on the ground. Again and again, he bursts upon me and rushes at me like a warrior. Can you feel the tension in Job's speech here? This tension in Job caused him to turn around 180 degrees. And he began to aim his accusations at God. It's actually not a good thing here. He turned 180 and started aiming his accusations toward the Lord. Instead of looking at the target, facing the target, keeping the target in his mind, in his thoughts, I know where God is taking me, and I know that this is going to bring me there. Job turns around and starts talking to the Lord like this. His father, who is trying to remove his weaknesses like a good father would in order to make him strong. Guys, God was not acting like a drill instructor here. He didn't want to just throw Job away. He was not trying to destroy him because he was weak. God was acting as a loving father who saw Job's weaknesses and was helping him to flex on him so that Job could become strong. You, you guys finding some connection with Job? So are we the only ones who usually begin well when we encounter tension? Consider it pure joy, keeping our soul diligently, making sure shalom is rock solid and present. But then there comes a point when the tension has exceeded what we have anticipated. And we just determine this is way too much tension. What began initially as praise. You know those first 12, 24, maybe 48 hours? I'm praising God through Praise this. the Lord, brother. Has now turned its target towards blaming, accusing God of treating us unfairly, and even being the victim of his unjustified wrath. The only way that we can see our Father is through the lens of a warrior when your heart is in this state. Someone that wants to put pressure on us to the point that we give up, despairing unto death, and he no longer wants anything to do with us. This has been the state of my soul. And if my brothers around me, Nick, Judah, Peyton, Wade, Eric, the elders, if they heard me express those inward stupid thoughts, not only would they disagree with my perspective, you know what they would do? They would lovingly rebuke me to my face. <laughs> and I would be better for it. I have been better for it. Why? 
because their actions are aimed at helping me remove what is mischaracterizing my father. It's causing me to repent so I can rightly then relate to my father and be restored, enable me to stand up on my own two feet, knowing what my identity in the father actually is, and ultimately to turn and Flex on them. Come on, everybody do that together with us. Do it like you're pulling back a bow. Do it like you're putting a, just a little bit more tension on that bow. You ready? One, two, three. Flex, Flex on them. Very good. Guys, we got to make war with the faithless heart instead of with the faithful father. We must learn to do this. Our faithless heart makes God guilty so many times, and he is the faithful father. He is the father who is addressing our weaknesses. He is the father who is making us go through tension so that we become strong. We're going to address our faithless heart this morning and not our faithful father. Guys, we saw how Job responded to the Lord getting him battle ready. Now... How did Elisha respond to the Lord getting him battle ready? We have a slide for you. Elisha flexed on him. He definitely did. Look at 2 Kings 2.2. 2. Elisha said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. He flexed on him. So they went down to Bethel. Verse 4, then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. He flexed on him. So they went to Jericho. Verse 6, then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Do you see the parallels between what Elisha is doing here in chapter 2 and what Ittai did last week with David? I'm sure you can see that. This is Elisha's greatest moment of tension right here. It's not what would happen after. It's not the magnification of the miracles. It's not what was waiting for him on the other side of that Jordan. This is Elisha's greatest moment of tension right here. What did he do? He said, I will not be swayed. I will not be discouraged. I need to and I must be with you right now, Elijah. Do you see that father-son relationship between Elijah and Elisha? Well, think about this for a minute. Well, we just focused on Elisha and his three statements of, I will not be swayed, I will not be dis- discouraged. Well, what about on the other side for Elijah, the older man of God, the father in Elisha's life? Ooh, he's experiencing some tension, Pastor. I mean, I'm beginning to be able to relate to this to some degree. I'm on my rapid descent over the hill. Past my prime. But I'm not dead yet. Elijah here is approaching the end of his purpose. The finality of what he's been aiming at the whole time. And that is to be a model 
of a man of God who is dependent on the power of God flowing through him in the midst of increasing tensions so that he can hand it off to a son in the faith. So let me speak to you, men are much in my position. You can then, or you can now see the ever close end goal of what God is aiming at. The tendency is wanting to just coast. I still, you know, I used to have what it takes, but I'm really not sure now. I'm just going to put it in neutral and roll to the finish line. Is that what Elijah did? No. No, you know what he did? He took off his cloak, he rolled it up, and struck the Jordan. He showed a bold, tenacious pursuit that is evident in his son in the faith, Elisha, and said, I will not be dissuaded by my age. I will not be deterred by my lack of physical or even sometimes mental strength. I'm going to do what's necessary because my God has made me battle ready, and it's a must that I make my sons battle ready. I'm going to walk across this Jordan on dry ground as a demonstration, a final demonstration, that is going to leave a mantle for my son to pick up. He's about to be escorted into the heavenly realms in a fiery chariot. And it's going to leave a greater amount of tension, but the sons in the faith are there to pick up where he left off. Eric Treaster, you have a job to do, brother. You have a job to do with the rest of your life, and that's sitting and standing right beside your son and his team, being right there with him to support him, to encourage him, to give him strength along the journey. You got the Makowicks together helping to prepare you for that future. It's not time to put the cruise control on, Eric. It's time to put the pedal to the metal, brother, because you got stuff to do in your life. Hey, right now, Spencer, Paul Rosales, Caleb, they're all at King's Harvest Church this morning. And the reason that they are there is because yesterday they just finished up packing the belongings of Spencer's father, Jerry. This has been a work of God for years. Jerry has visited, and we, I mean, we put the full core press on him, man. We flexed on him. Brother, God is calling you to be here. And why? Because your purpose at this stage in life is to put every ounce of resource and energy into seeing your son go further than you have. It's no longer about what you can accomplish, but why don't you invest in what your sons can accomplish? And Jerry stepped up to the plate. He has sold his house. He has packed up his belongings. And he's going to be here at LCM in a short period of time. This is what it looks like for an older man to, to muster up the strength for the sake of his sons and flex on them towards his own fear. It doesn't matter if you're 17 in this room or if you're 71. Your father still sees you and sees the potential that you cannot see in yourself. Your father is still looking and saying, hey, you feel that tension? It's time for you to flex on this. It is time for you to go further. I believe in you, son. Mm -hmm. 
Even if you're 71, there is a further place that you can and that you must go so that this continues in strength. Guys, it doesn't matter your age. Your father understands your potential. It's time to credit him with faithfulness and destroy the own, your own faith, faithless heart that is inside of you. Continue in verse 11 in 2 Kings 2. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father! My father! The chariots and horsemen of Israel! And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. Notice what Elisha said. The first thing that came out of his mouth when Elijah was being taken up is my father. My father. This actually speaks to the depth of relationship that these men had with one another. It wasn't just my bro or my dear friend, it was my father. Yeah. Elisha sees his father in the faith being taken up. And in that moment, he realizes that the mantle that he carried before, it's no longer sufficient for what is to come. He needed that tension. He needed the timing and the way that God did this for him. Guys, what was torn in Elisha in a moment of great tension is represented when he tears his garment. What was torn in that moment, though, was being replaced with a garment of greater empowerment. We're about to see that right here. Yeah. Really important point in all this. Elisha's situation did not need to change. Elisha was not praying that the Lord just give Elijah 15 more years. Elisha was not praying for a change in the situation. Elisha needed to grow up. And his growth depended on him standing firmly in the tension and learning how to flex on it. Amen. Let's continue in verse 13. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. Look, we've often read this as Elijah, Elijah being doubtful. He's being trepidatious, internally mournful. Like, oh, no, where, where is, where is God? Where is the God of Elijah? Where is he going to be? Is he going to empower me like he's supposed to? Well, we read it a different way yesterday when we were studying. What if... Elijah is mocking the doubt found in the company of prophets, the very ones that were questioning that he answered three times in that slide that we showed you earlier. What if he's looking at them, and with this attitude, because you know that just text messages alone don't communicate attitude. What if he's saying like this? Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I'm going to show you. The attitude of flex on him. Come on, man. 
How many times have you experienced maturity and growth as a result of being discipled? The Talmudim. And there has been internal and external challenges to your maturity, to your anointing, to your call. And when you have right confidence found in your God inside of you and within the family, you're like, oh, you're going to challenge what I'm able to do? You're really challenging what he is able to do through me. Watch me. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to act like the man of God that I've been formed and fashioned into. I'm going to be the woman of God that is brave and full of faith and can stand up to giants and slay them myself. What we see here is that Elisha is demonstrating an ultimate faith in the face of faithlessness. And he says, I will show you where the God of Elijah is. Where now is the Lord? Where is the God of Elijah? And then this happens. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho, who were watching, they said, Oh, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. How about that? And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Elisha would not back down. No matter how many times he was discouraged, he flexed on the tension. He flexed on the internal level first. Even tension with his father and his closest friend. He knew the remaining in that tension and not fading out into despair was going to yield the right growth in his life if he just stood in it. If he just learned to flex on it. This enabled him to flex on the tension externally as well. In the fact that he struck the water. In the fact that he watched it part. In the fact that he crossed over to the other side. What was the goal here for Elisha? The goal was for him to be made battle ready for the events that would follow in the course of his life. Look, let's take a pastoring moment here for a second. How many of you in here can see the lives of other men and women of God and are inspired by what they do? You admire their tenacity. You are blessed by their anointing. But you're also met with this thought of, I can't do what you do. I love what you do, but I can't do what you do. This morning you're going to rally your soul to agree with God's word more than what you feel. And you are going to stand up in confidence on the inside and say, God brought me here to learn how to do what you do. And like Elisha, you're not going to leave the cloak on the ground, but you're going to pick it up, stand up, and show the heavenly realms who God has made you in this body. He brought you here so that he could train you and make you battle ready to do what we do. And as you do it, you know what? We continue to become more battle ready as a body. Everybody turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and say flex on him as you do. We're going to pick up in verse 24. This was an amazing passage from Thursday and we just, 
we couldn't let her rest. Do you not know that all the runners in a stadium compete? But only one receives the prize. Well, that's a biblical truth that we should apply to all team sports in elementary and middle school. <laughs> oh, you Not everybody gets a trophy. Consolation prize. Yeah, it's called a cold bottle of water in the ice chest on the sideline. <laughs> and the point is the remaining part of this verse. So run to win. Raise your hand if you're a part of the kingdom and participating in this race. Let me tell you something. You're not just competing to only finish. This leads to running from tension. Take that in. If you're just wanting to exist in order to run out the clock... You're avoiding the actual force necessary to advance the kingdom within that time period. Teach us to number our days aright. We have a limited time on earth to accomplish God's will and purpose for our life. And you have to exert ever-increasing force to win. You're not competing to get second place. I mean, silver is redemption, but not in this case. <laughs> if you're competing to get second place, this leads to giving up in the tension prematurely. Well, I just didn't want to say anything last night at fellowship. Uh, I want to wait for everybody else to speak first before I offered it, but time kind of ran out and I wasn't able to share anything. No. Jump out there because God gave you something authentic that the body needs to hear. Now, if you're running over everybody with your voice, not letting anybody speak, that's a whole nother problem. But ultimately, we are being directed by Scripture to run to win. That means flexing on them. Flex on that inner faithlessness and pride. You're running to win. This is not prideful. This is not arrogant. This is godly. This is the attitude that Elisha had. Where is my God and the God of my father? Just you, just you come and watch and see. I'm not running to finish. I am running to win. Verse 25 goes on to say, each competitor must exercise self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run uncertainly or box like one who hits only air. Instead, I subdue my body and make it my slave. So that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Ooh. Can you feel the tension in that passage of Scripture? Exercise self-control in everything, Paul says. You feel that tension. You're competing for an imperishable crown, not for a perishable one. You feel the tension. You subdue your body. You make it your slave. You tell it what to do. Don't get down, pastor. I like that phrase. You tell your body what to do. 
and you preach the gospel with your actions first and foremost, and then you preach the gospel with your words. Are you guys getting some direction and insight of how to respond to attention? Let's give you another one. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. Say flex on them as you turn. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Look, we preached on this verse many, many times before. But we have some, some fresh meat regarding the content of this verse. The statement, I am what I am, it's not an, an excuse. It's an acknowledgement. So some reach the tension and have excuses. You know, I just am what I am. I am what I am, Pastor. I'm, I'm not made for this kind of tension. I'm not made for this kind of discipleship. Just accept my lack of ability to try. Others reach the tension and flex on them and say, yeah, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yeah. This is how God made me, and I will not st fail to stand up in that fact. So we have the two character comparisons of Job and Elijah. And what Job did as tension mounted is that he began to make excuses and blame God for the circumstance. And making excuses particularly for what he thought he was not, which was guilty. Elisha knew who he was and refused to deny that acknowledgement. He refused to give in to an excuse that blames God, circumstance, and everybody else around him. In fact, he goes as far as mocking the company of prophets and saying, I'll show you who the God of Elijah is because I have not stopped applying force in advancing the call of God on my life with my discipler. And now that he's gone, of course I'm going to flex on him. Guys, we want to show you a slide about what the tension is actually producing inside of you. We know good and well what we feel like in the tension, the discouragement that could be there, but this slide is going to help you, biblically speaking, scripturally speaking, show you what the tension is actually doing inside. The tension is our teacher. Psalm 119.67 says, before I was afflicted, before I found myself in the tension, I went astray. But now I obey your word. Guys, remaining in the tension teaches us obedience at all costs. It doesn't matter how much tension is in your life. That teaches you, I am going to be obedient and I will not back down. Remaining in the tension also teaches us loyalty unto death. The loyalty that each one of us craves. The brother that we all want to be to each other. Remaining in the tension teaches us how to be that way. Psalm 119.71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. You know, remaining in that tension, it teaches us what the decrees of God actually 
say. You get a better grasp of the reality of his word at work within you. Remaining in attention teaches us our need for the tension and that it is put in one singular category. Good. No other descriptor is given for it. It's good. 75 says, I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous. And in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. You have put me in the tension. Remaining in the tension teaches us the true righteousness that is found in the law of God. And also remaining in the tension teaches us just how faithful God is to bring us into tension. And lastly, with Psalm 119.92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Remaining in the tension teaches us how to cling to and take delight in his word. Cling to and take delight. Not only is that a great level of dependency, that sees the end goal of God producing life inside of you while in tension. Remaining in attention, ultimately, it saves our lives. I mean, we're sitting here right now as testimonies and examples of how God has used tension to bring us to his word that has saved our life. So we would like to illustrate these facts, especially the last one mentioned in this list. Everyone turn with us to John chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 66, and you know what to say as you turn. Flex on them, Flex on them baby. John six sixty six. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? You feel the tension in that question? Jesus speaking to the 12. Do you guys want to leave just like they did? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Guys, this is a pivotal moment. Jesus right here, he's drawing near, nearer to his death nearer to his resurrection and his ascension. Jesus himself is feeling the tension just like Elijah was. He's applying greater tension to the 12, though, to remove any presence of doubt that they still might have inside of them. He's asking them a tense question to expose something to expose a weakness, and also to make sure that they are sufficiently encouraged before his departure, to make sure that they understand all of the preparation that Jesus had taken them through. Intention was required to make these disciples battle ready. Jesus knew what was needed in them after his departure and what would enable them to wait in Jerusalem until they were filled with greater power from on high. He understood that, and he understood that tension was required to get it done. He's using tension here in the form of a question. Notice Peter's response. Peter's response, first and foremost, is in the form of a question. He asks Jesus something. Lord, 
to whom shall we go? A great truth here is that tension is designed to teach you how to ask, how to ask the right question. And it narrows your focus on what the target is. You have the words of eternal life, and that is what I'm going after. Peter and the other ten faithful disciples were at the point of grasping what would actually give them the ability to flex on them on the day of Pentecost until the moment that they were all martyred. The ability to draw from the word, the wisdom, and the strength that would be necessary to do even greater works than Jesus did. That point that Pastor Nick made, let's make sure that we get that. Tension is designed to teach you how to ask. Because it forces out of your heart what is really there that then can be addressed or furthered. Am I the only one that whenever difficulty mounts upon difficulty, I have that question come out of my mouth, why me? Why now? What have I done? Or what should I have done that I didn't? But when my heart is actually right and I've been engaging him, clinging to him and his word, the right question begins to come out, where else am I to go? <laughs> Who else am I supposed to lean on and look to as my source of life? Whether my body is racked with pain, my mind is filled with fog and confusion, or just everything that I touch breaks and then has to be fixed. To whom else shall I go? Because my grumbling and complaining has never served me well. But seeing that he has the very words of eternal life has rescued my life every single time. So we want to head towards a certain perspective that is related to personally here within our church, one association church, but particularly that map. Why is tension so important right now? Why? Because there are positions that God has preordained for you guys to fill and for families in our church that need to be filled in the Eastern Europe, Turkey, and Aswan region. So I want you to picture something. Let's say tomorrow. Tomorrow, Judah, Peyton, Nick, and their families all got on the plane and took off to Romania for good. What would be required of you if they packed up and were gone? Is it more or less? More responsibility. You're right, Michael. So what are you doing about it now? Stepping up and flexing on them. And it really requires you to step up and begin to model what they do. Learn from them. And, and here's how. The tension that you feel in your heart and your, your, your discipleship, ask them questions. Ask the pastors and elders questions. It looks something like this. Hey, 
what does it look like to receive such a clear word from God about what you're going to go do, but then you do not see any movement or progression of how to get there? I'm warring in that in my own soul. It's made me question whether or not I'm doing something right in this place right here, or do I need to be somewhere else? My mind's going all over the place. You exposing that with your question then enables disciples to pour into you what is needed to make you battle ready for that end goal. In your marriages, asking questions of, hey, we're really struggling with this. And we're, we're trying to implement these exact marriage principles, but honestly, we're failing to do it consistently, or we are, and I'm not sure if we're doing it right. That's a heck of a lot better than showing up at church and smiling and saying that everything's good and it's festering underneath the surface. Let's all do the Lord a favor and responding as tension is a privilege because it is forcing us to ask questions that lead to our further development. When Pastor Matt brought up that subject and you pictured in your mind, you began to think about what it would be like when we're gone. I know for some of you, the immediate response is, I can't do that. I can't step into that role. I won't be able to. Now is the time to begin to put this message into practice. Now is the time to flex on the internal doubts that you are feeling right now. This is the season for it. John 14 verse 12 is proof that the time is today and not tomorrow and not next year to flex on it. The time is right now. You see, when Jesus was still with his disciples, before he left, he said to them, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. The, the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples before this is, hey guys, I'm going to leave. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the heavens. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm not going to be here for very long. And what does he do? He helps them to be able to flex on the doubt that they have that they're staring at Jesus. And they're saying, we can't do what this man has done. And Jesus looks at him square in the eyes and says, yes, you can. In fact, you need to flex on that doubt right now because you're not just going to do what I've done. You are going to go farther than what I have done. Amen. Guys, the time of our departure is coming soon. But we know that you will not just rise to the call. You will exceed us and our families in every way. Look at me. This is confidence in you right now. Flex on the internal doubts that you have and begin to walk in faithfulness to this task. The next step after flexing on those internal doubts is to begin to ask. Begin to ask just like Elisha did with Elijah. He would not have received what he needed from Elijah if he did not ask of him. But because he did, Elisha did greater things. Why was Elisha present with Elijah in 2 Kings 2? Maybe Pastor Matt can answer that question for us. Let's have a slide. This is Elisha anticipating Elijah's departure. 
2 Kings 2.3, the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. But don't speak of it. There was a clear awareness and anticipation of what was yet about to happen. But do you see that Elisha is not unnerved, anxious, or withdrawing from the tension of that fact? He's stepping up to it. It's like, sure, shut up. Doesn't need to be announced right now. When you see it happen, it's going to happen. <laughs> Second Kings 2.5, the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Same reply, yes, I know, but do not speak of it. Both of these are examples that Elijah, Elijah had defeated his doubt because he had flexed on him. And now he could display inspirational faith to the men that did not know what he knew. They only had a piece of it. As you anticipate the departure of these three families, the kibbutz, what areas do you need to flex on? Because flexing on them is not about, rem not about only remaining under tension. It is the mentality that says, I feel the tension, but I'm going to pull it back just a little bit more. Because by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I'm empowered to run to win. Now is not a time to coast or just stay in neutral. You got to pull back that tension a little bit more. Why? Because you can. And second, because you must. So what does it look like to ask? Asking looks very much like Peter did with Jesus in John 6. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. Asking also looks like the disciples with Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray just like you do. Asking also looks like the man in Mark chapter 9 that had the demon-possessed son. You know, that man had a faulty bow in his own life. And he also had broken arrows in his son. Demon-possessed, hopeless future, standing in the tension. But he asked Jesus, and Jesus granted his request. He received it also looks like John 1, 5. If you lack in any area, if the Spirit illuminates something to you and you choose to ask, then God will give it to you and he will give it to you liberally. James 4 also reflects this. You do not have because you haven't yet asked. But you stand in the tension and you will be able to ask. God will bless you with exactly what he has for you. And I guarantee you, it will be more than what you could ever ask for or imagine. God wants to liberally pour out what you need. He has that provision in his hand and he is waiting for you to ask for what you need to be battle ready. You know what's evident that he is preparing us and making us battle ready? It's the way that he has liberally poured out his instructions and direction through prophetic words that have come forth in our church. We shared one with you earlier in the, in the part, first part of the message, but we have one more that shows us what actions we must do today. 
begins with, the Lord spoke to me specifically about families in this room that are called to be pillars. In your own admission, you have lagged behind. You feel like you have lost too many years. The Lord says, I will catch them up in a shorter amount of time. I will cause their maturity to grow 10 years in the space of three years. And I will rouse the sons of this house. I believe we are called to action, but there is an attitude that we are required to have. You feel like too much time has been spent, too much time has been wasted with your own family and with your own children and your own life, and you do not know how to fulfill the call of God? Ask him to give you a measure of grace that will let you work harder. And his grace can transform you along the way. And watch, our God will bring you exactly where you need to be. Not one man will be left behind. Do you hear in that prophetic message spoken by our body in a worship service is giving us direction for today? Ask him to give you a measure of grace that will let you and enable you to work harder. This word is not for the future. It's for today. We're getting battle ready. No one said it would be easy. If it was easy, you wouldn't want to do it or do it at all. That's why most people don't. We are in the midst of tension, and we just need to ask. Like the passage that uh, Pastor Nick related to earlier, we need to ask what we have failed to ask for. Or we need to ask with the right purified heart that is free from motives that corrupt the content of what we're asking for. And here's how we show faith immediately. Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. This is our final passage for today. Flex on them as you turn. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. Well, that's an abrupt ending to Moses' life, don't you think? We want you to put yourself in the shoes of Israel right here when their great and fearless leader has just gone to be with the Lord. I know you feel that tension. Our leader's gone. He has departed. Now what in the world are we going to do? This is the same tension that we saw in Elisha's life. This is the same tension we saw in the lives of the disciples. This is what we see the Lord preparing you for and the reason why he's giving you tension. Guys, remember something. In this passage right here, in this moment in history, Israel had just gone through 40 years of tension in order to make them battle ready. Israel was now standing at the edge of the land of promise, but they were also ready to go in. They were battle ready. God had made them that way through those tension years. The hard part is not the battles that were to come for Israel. God would fight mightily for them and with them. The most difficult part was standing in the tension and being made battle ready beforehand. Can you guys see the parallels with this passage this morning? Hop, hop down to verse 9 with us. 
Verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Look, we can see within your eyes and on your faces that many of you are gaining greater clarity this morning. Better line of sight of what God is using the tension in your life to teach you. And the necessity of asking for God, from God, strength needed to stand in the fullness of what you're called to be today. So that you can be battle ready for tomorrow. We want to tell you that just as much as you have the ability and the freedom to approach God and ask, you are going to be required to do more with it. If you ask for wisdom, you're going to be required to rightly use that wisdom in greater fashion. You realize the statement in the beginning of verse 9 is that Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom. How many times have we sought the Lord to just impart it to us individually in isolation? But the statement is that it was because Moses laid his hands on Joshua. There was an attachment, an asking, a bond. Stand to your feet. Let us give you some clear direction of what we're going to do as a church body. You're going to set your feet in action to be in closer proximity or relationship with the fathers and the faith that you have in this room. And when you're in close proximity, you're going to ask them for wisdom and insight. You're going to trust that they will give it to you liberally without finding fault, without discarding and throwing you away. You know where you must aim in the future, and now you must aim in this moment. You are coming down to this altar to ask what you have not asked from the Father before. You're going to have to put your heart on the altar and ask the Lord to cleanse you of motives that are corrupting those questions and have arisen in the midst of tension. And your cry must be that of Psalm 119.5. Oh, that my ways were steadfast. Oh, that I may be made ready. It's not the tension that needs to change. It's you. You must say, I will not leave this tension, Lord, until you change me. You know what we're, we're going to do together as a family in the future, and you know that we are going to flex on the tension. We're not going to run from it. We're not going to stay in it for a moment and then exit. We're going to stay in it. We're going to flex on it, and we're going to pull the bow back just a little bit more in that situation. But this morning, in this moment right here, we're going to approach this altar and say, Oh, God, that my ways were steadfast. We're going to thank the Lord for revealing his God-ordained tensions in our lives. And we are going to flex on it by coming forward and asking, Lord, change me in this tension. 
Lord, transform me in this tension. You showed me my weak places. Lord, make them strong today. And just like Moses laid his hands on Joshua, we're going to lay our hands on you. We're going to pray for the strength that will be required in the days ahead. We're not going to do it tomorrow. Today is a necessary step in our growth as a congregation. And what we're going to do after this, we're going to watch you and your families rise up into the positions of leadership that God have ordained and destined for you. Are you guys ready to pray together? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you are the God that gives liberally this morning. You are the God that freely pours out. Lord, our requirement is to ask of you. Father, this morning we do ask, Lord. Lord, we ask, help us in our weaknesses, mighty God. Help us, Lord God. Turn our weaknesses into strength this morning, mighty King. Thank you for the tension. We flex on it in Jesus' name and we pull it back just a little bit more, knowing that you will give us the strength required.
blessed it is when brothers are dwelling together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when the right word comes to us at the right moment. Thank you, pastors, for bringing us the exact right word. Miranda, would you put 2 Kings 2, verse 9 on the screen? I want to encourage you as I was, as we were praying as pastors and elders for you guys, there was something that came very clear to my heart as I was praying for this group of people, laying hands on you. I want to encourage you that Elisha was not granted a double portion just because he was around what was going on. He rightly stood up in the tension. And in verse nine, it says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you. It's not enough to just be around and see what's going on. You have to begin and stand up under that tension. Those multiple times that the other prophets were saying, don't you know he's going to leave? Yes, I understand that. I get that, but I have a part in this. And yet Elijah made Elisha ask of him what was supposed to be done for him. It is not enough that you're just close to mighty men of God that are around you. It's not just enough that you know that there is tension and you should flex on them even a little bit more and get under that tension better. If you do those things and fail to ask, you have not because you ask not. Or you're asking with wrong motives. Uh, Skip ahead to verse 12 for me, please, Miranda. Mrs. Barnett. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father. This is what we're trying to, this is what we are building. This is what we have built here in this house is people who are not looking at each other from a work relationship, from some informal place. We're looking at each other as family. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. His own thoughts, his own deeds, his own determination, what he thought he should do, he tore that. Why? Because there was a mantle that was before him that he had to rise up and take and then begin to operate in an entirely new level. You realize the transition happened immediately? You didn't get that, did you? The tension was in the time that he had dedicated with his father, Elijah. The tension was he was dealing with the internal things. The tension was is he was asking. And then as soon as he tore his clothes, he walked over and people said, Look, the same spirit that was on Elijah was now resting on Elisha. No longer a servant who just washed the hands of his master, but in his own right, they saw the exact same spirit. It was the spirit of God, but they called it that the spirit of Elijah was now resting on Elisha. These are the days that we're in, church. It's not just more tension for tension's sake. It's because God has a mantle and it's right before you. You're about to have to roll it up and strike the Jordan yourself. 
It is time for us to rise up and tear off our own thoughts, to tear off our own self-determined deeds and watch God give you a mantle that you've always hoped for, that you've always wished for, but is now before you. In this season, this is what our God is doing. This is what he is transforming us into. The tension is now because the mantle is right before you. The tension to ask is now so that he will fulfill his every good pleasure for every one of you. God intends to not leave a single person in this place behind. I was praying with somebody and lovingly, pastorally, I said, if God would have wanted to get rid of you, he could have had many times to do that. Is that true about everybody in the room? If he would have wanted to put you to the end, he would have already done that because you and I have given him so many chances, yet you're still here. Your feet are right here. You're at this altar right here today because God has already spoken to you. Now's the time to ask. Lord, we feel the tension. We want to ask you of the things that we've actually just failed to ask you for. We want to ask you because we are now getting rid of our wrong motives. And by God, we're not going to ask to get out of the tension. We're just going to flex on it because that mantle that is right before us, you're going to put it in our hands and we're going to operate in it fully. Can you tell that Pastor Wade's mezuzah is to equip the saints of God? Saints, we don't want to drag this out any further than is necessary. But I do want you to understand two sides of the coin. Anybody in the room get a little nervous when you began to think about the three of us leaving? You understand we also get a little nervous when we think about the three of us leaving? It's not because we're afraid to move or relocate our families or go preach the gospel in any land. Romania is actually pretty pleasant. We, like Psalm 127 speaks of, have gotten used to facing our enemies at the gates with a host of sons that are warriors on our left and right. You are those sons. But God is laying a responsibility on every single one of us to make more of what we are. We'll definitely preach. We'll definitely see new disciples made in Romania. But we're counting on the sons of this house to follow us. I'm talking about natural sons like Josiah Moloch, like Devlin over here sitting in the middle. But I'm also talking about sons that are not genetically related to you, but are spiritually related in the family of heaven. This house has to raise up fathers that will train and lay down their lives for the men of this room. Men like Ubon, a man like David Bottom in the back sitting in the sound booth who does not think very highly of himself, but is nonetheless called of God and called to ministry. God is advancing the ranks in this very room. So I'm prophesying to the Molochs. God will stabilize your home and make you a reliable pillar in this house. I'm looking at Rick and Susan over here. God is going to do the same thing with you. He will stabilize your marriage. He will stabilize your home. And this body will lean on your stability. God put you here not just because you need us, but because we need you. We have families that are raising stables of young warriors. 
this house does not produce hot-bellied video game out children. We are raising warriors. The Rosales clan is filled with little ones. The Treaster clan is filled with little ones. The Koras are raising an army. See, but the thing is, we cannot do this without each other. We can't do it without you, and you can't do it without us. All of these things are in God's timing, but you should not count on us having this time together next year, as in February 20th. You should plan on this being your last February, so how would you like to spend it? See, we want to spend it pouring into the callings that we know you already have. This pastoral staff, the elders who are already here, we're not interested in being exalted and unattainable. We're interested in making you into exactly what we are. There's a connection that these brothers made that was fantastic that I'm not sure everyone in the room grasped. Let's go back to Psalm 119 verse five together for a minute. What does O mean? It means nothing. It, it's not an actual word. There is no definition under the word O in the dictionary. It is just an expression of emotion. Hey, am I the only one in the room that today's word caused emotion to rise? Maybe a varied mix of feelings of excitement, fear, all at once. Oh, that my ways were steadfast. The NET, yes, absolutely. NET even says, oh, that my ways were preconditioned to keeping your statutes. The ESV continues this line of thought as the pastor has iterated it. Oh, that I were prepared to keep your statutes. The reality is that Ezra is saying here, I am not prepared. My ways currently are not steadfast. I am not preconditioned to do what is right in and of itself, even as I love the Lord and love the word of God. Oh, that they may be, or oh, that they were. Anybody know what the heading is over the first eight verses of Psalm 119? What is an Aleph? It is a strong, powerful leader. The beginning of you flexing on these things, of you being the strong, powerful leader that God has called each one of you to be, is recognizing with all the emotion that God can give you, oh, that I were steadfast. Then when you begin to ask God, like pastor just told you, he will answer that call. You saw the slide. The same guy who wrote this verse wrote about how God trained him, afflicted him, put him in difficult circumstances, and he became preconditioned to obey the word of God. The psalmist walks you through his own tension. But the fact that you have the courage to admit you're not where you need to be is not your disqualification. That is the beginning of you being strong, powerful leaders in the house of God. So as we come to a place where we pray and we dismiss, I want to remind you of one further thing. We are not crying this. We are not standing under the attention. 
for your lives alone. We are doing this for the spiritual and natural sons that we will launch into ministry. We are the bow. The bow is not the arrow. So whatever you're currently straining under and need to stand up in your faith about, do it for the sake of your sons, the ones that are born to you and the ones that are sons of this house like Jaron and Damon. And we're going to pray and ask that God would give us the nations as Psalm 2 speaks of. And he will grant that we will have participation in bringing his will on earth about starting in this house, but radiating out to every nation that he has called us to. You with me, Nolan Hewitt? You're going to pray with me? Ibrahim, are you with me? Let's raise up a prayer before God for those nations. Mighty one, we say readily today, our awareness has grown. Lord, and we cry before you, oh, that our ways were steadfast. Lord, and we trust that you will afflict us, that you will train us, and that you will teach us to stand, and that you will make our ways steadfast. Holy One, we ask, as sons of David, those who have been adopted into the family of God, Lord, give this room the nations. Give us the nations. Give us the nations by sending our sons into them. We ask that you would give us supernatural vision, the ability to see beyond the tension we are currently under, but what you are aiming at, mighty one, with that great bow of yours, O warrior. And we say in this house, we will raise up a war cry for them. Jesus, we commit these things into your hands. Amen and hallelujah.